Hi everybody, Jimmy DeYoung, welcome to Prophecy Today. I'm here at Broadcast Central in Chattanooga, Tennessee. I'm here because we just have completed our School of Prophets Conference. David James and I were the main speakers. We had three of our students make presentations, and they were very well received. And let me tell you this. I'm going to give you the headline now, talk about it a bit more in a moment. The fact is that you can get in on some of those sessions. We streamed live across the United States and, in fact, around the world on YouTube. And that was the way we were able to get information out to the world. And that was a key opportunity for those who were not able to make it to the conference. Now, we're going to put some of the sessions up on YouTube. What you do is go to youtube.com forward slash prophecy today. Prophecy today, one word, and you'll be able to go and find my channel. You'll be able to do that. It's uh, youtube.com forward slash prophecy today. One word, prophecy today. Well, we've got our broadcast partner standing by. Again, I have to ask you for 90 minutes because so much information is coming our way so quickly. In order for you to be able to be updated as it relates to the way current events will set the stage for Bible prophecy, the prophetic scenario found in God's Word, to be fulfilled. you got to stay abreast of your study of Bible prophecy, but at the same time, you need to understand how current events fit into that scenario. The man who looks at geopolitical activities for us, Ken Timmerman. Ken, let's get underway with the information. There was an article that you have written. It's in Frontline Magazine. I want to start with that because we'd like to know what our broadcast partners are doing in addition to our radio broadcast. And I believe the title of it, Obama's War is Upon Us, referring to us here in the United States. Talk to me about that article. Well, that's right, Jimmy, and thank you for mentioning it. Front Page Magazine is a pretty amazing place run by David Horowitz, a former leftist and a secular Jew who has embraced the conservative movement and become one of its leading lights. Uh, And I've been writing there for, for a number of years about strategic issues. You know, Donald Trump has got this way of giving everybody a a nickname, you know, from Crooked Hillary to Little Rocket Man, who at one point actually became his best friend. So I am wondering whether he's going to call the next war that crosses the Middle East, that encompasses the entire Middle East, Obama's war, because he should. This is a war led by Iran, spearheaded by Iran, that really was put into place. All the pieces were put into place by Obama during the eight years of his presidency, when he essentially treated the mullahs in Tehran, who were building nuclear weapons, as friends, and Israelis, who were building homes for Jewish people, in their capital, Jerusalem, as enemies. And during those eight years, the Iranians expanded militarily. Uh, They got a $150 billion windfall, as we know from the Iran nuclear deal. They got $1.9 billion in cash sent on an airplane in 2016 in pallets in the dead of night, probably in violation of U.S. law, uh, to get hostages out from Iran. He has done many different things to embolden the mullahs in Tehran to aid their expansion, to create this Shiite crescent around the Middle East. Uh, And I believe that the signs are there now, uh, the military signs, the strategic signs on the ground, 
to suggest that the Iranians are eager to launch a region-wide war. That would also include the United States. I've got a follow-up question, and I'll mention it in just a moment, but let me remind you, everybody, that's a very important read that you should be involved in this weekend. Front Page Magazine is the key magazine where you can find the article, but it'll also be on my home page, and we'll post the article that uh, our good broadcast partner, Ken Timmerman, has written. But this next question follows up on that. And it's another opinion piece. I wanted to see what your thoughts were about it. Why Iran may go nuclear. Now, that's kind of a question that says, hey, Iran is going. Here's why. Well, the logic being used by this writer, who I do not know, by the way, is that Iran's ambiguous nuclear policy today is not serving their interest. It is not helping them strategically, whereas if they openly declared themselves a nuclear power, uh, they would be in a better strategic position. They could exercise nuclear deterrence against both the United States and Israel. I, I frankly think that's a bit of a stretch, and I, I'm not quite sure the mullahs think in those terms. They don't think like us. They don't think in terms of deterrence. They think in terms of their long-term goal, which is to impose Islam on the world and to be the head of a new Islamic caliphate. We've spoken many times on this uh, program about the implicit competition between Iran, Turkey, and Saudi Arabia, each of whom wants to be the head of a worldwide Islamic caliphate. But the Iranians are very active in this, and the Turks are very active in this. The Saudis much less so today. Uh, and so I believe that the Iranians see uh, nuclear weapons as something that they can ultimately introduce as a terror weapon without attribution back to them. And if they are a declared nuclear weapon state, they no longer have that option. The Iranian regime likes to act sneakily behind your back to stick the knife in when you're not looking and then claim it was their neighbor who did it. <laughs> they cannot do that if they are a declared nuclear weapon. Absolutely. I think and I love the statement made by Israeli Prime Minister Netanyahu, he said Israel is the bulwark against Iran uh, taking over the entire Middle East and then ultimately the entire world. I think that's pretty much on target. Well, that's right. Again, Israel is the bulwark against Obama's war. You know, Israel is the only one standing on the front lines. We are with them in, in Syria, but Israel is the only one who is really facing Iran on the front lines on a daily basis those Iranian-supplied missiles from Gaza aimed at Israel. Iranian-supplied missiles in Lebanon aimed at Israel. Iranian-supplied missiles in Syria, controlled by Hezbollah and other groups, all aimed at Israel. So Israel is clearly the target. Netanyahu also said this past week, he said, you know, remember who's the uh, big Satan, uh, the United States, and who is the small Satan, Israel, we just happen to be closer <laughs> and that's a very, very significant statement. Uh, you know, it's a, it, it sounds almost trite, but it's so very true. Israel is closer to Iran. They might be the little Satan, but they're right there on the front lines, and they are the ones restraining Iranian actions, not the Russians. The Russians used to be restraining them, and since the shootdown of the Russian plane by the Syrians in September, Putin is no longer restraining Iran in Syria. And this is a really big shift in strategy. Yes, it is. And coming out of the Middle East, this headline, Russia has given Iran and Hezbollah, two of the players you just mentioned, 
uh, the S-300 missile shield, which would kind of curtail some possibilities that Israel might have in being that bulwark. Well, so this is a big deal, and this is the type of thing that is happening now on the ground in Syria. The Russians, who before had been restraining Iran, restraining Hezbollah, who had been talking to Israel on a regular basis. They had a hotline where the Israelis would call up the Russian military just before they would attack a site in Syria and say, hey, we're on our way, please stand down your missile defense, and they would. Today that's not happening. That's over. That period is over, and the Russians have said, okay, we're going to transfer control of the air defense missiles to the Syrians. And here just this past week, they've moved an entire battalion of these S-300 mm. missiles. And, I mean, we're talking about 50 to 70 missiles times eight. Mm. Okay, so 400, over 400 missiles in a battalion of launchers. They moved them from western Syria into eastern Syria, where U.S. troops are stationed on the ground, and where both the U.S. Air Force and the Israelis have been pounding targets, not just ISIS targets on the ground, but also Hezbollah. Now Hezbollah has this shield provided by Russia. On this broadcast, Ken and I have talked often about Islamic State and supposedly the demise, which I don't believe is quite true. However, there's news coming now that an evaluation, Hezbollah, which Ken's been talking about, is as dangerous or more dangerous than Islamic State. You agree with that? I, I do. It's a pretty significant statement made by a pretty significant person, the number two man at the State Department, John Sullivan. He's the Deputy Secretary of State, right, under Mike Pompeo. He was meeting with counterterrorism ministers from all across the Western Hemisphere, so from Argentina, from Paraguay, from Brazil, etc. They all got together to talk about terrorism and what they can do to prevent terrorist operations. And he said, look, you know, Hezbollah is all over Latin America, and they're using Latin America as a base, first to penetrate the United States, but they're also carrying out terrorist attacks in uh, Argentina and other countries in Latin America itself, which is why he called them more dangerous. The U.S. has, has arrested a number of Hezbollah operatives coming in from either Brazil or Argentina or Paraguay or other places. They've arrested them in Miami. They've arrested them in Detroit. And these are people who are working together with the drug cartels. So they're moving drugs into the United States and using the money to purchase weapons and explosives. So Hezbollah is actively inside the United States, operationally inside the United States, in a way that the Islamic State uh, would like to be, but does not have the organizational skills to accomplish. By the way, that reminds me, I've got an idea. Maybe I ought to try to push it. Let's put a wall up there at the border. (laughs) (laughs) I don't have That would be a novel novel proposal, wouldn't it, Jimmy? (laughs) Yeah, it sure would. We don't have time to talk about it. We need to talk about it possibly next week. Friends, you've been listening to Ken Timmerman. Go to my website, prophecytoday.com. Look at his article that we've posted there. It's Obama's war is on us. The United States, I believe, he's talking about, but you and me anyway. And uh, Ken, thank you so very much. Great up-to-date report. We need this type of information. So thank you, and we'll have another conversation next week, buddy. Well, God bless, Jimmy, and uh, be well in this Advent season. Thank you so much. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll go to the Middle East. An update from David Dolan right here on Prophecy Today. Keep the dial right where it is. 
Prophecy Today is heard all across the USA on the Prophecy Today radio network, but also it is heard around the world through our website at prophecytoday.com. And Jay, there are many other features on our prophecytoday.com website, like daily news updated out of the Middle East as it pertains to what's happening prophetically. Special reports can be heard right on our website at prophecytoday.com. We have Prophecy Q&A available for you. Questions asked in the past can be answered on the website if you just check it out and go to that particular spot. Prophecy Quiz is available, and parts of our Prophecy Today program, if you should miss any part of it, will be heard the next week right here at prophecytoday.com. And don't forget, you can even email your questions to us for our live radio broadcast. Just go to our website at prophecytoday.com. You'll be amazed, you'll be surprised at what you'll find on our website. Be sure to visit us at prophecytoday.com on the World Wide Web. Have you ever wanted to visit Israel and trace the footsteps of Jesus? Hi, I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr., and along with VCY America, I'm excited to announce our upcoming trip March 13th through the 22nd, 2019. Imagine what it would be like to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. We're going to look at Israel past, present, and future. The Bible will come alive as you see places such as the shepherd's fields, Capernaum, the Garden of Gethsemane, and the Garden Tomb. You'll even experience an exciting boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. You'll visit each site with Bible in hand as we take the time not only to visit the site, but to help you understand their importance to our biblical heritage and our prophetic future. We will place special emphasis on the eternal city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the world, and a place where Jesus will rule and reign one day. Call Joshua Travel today, 423-821-3635, to find out more about our VCY America Prophecy Today Israel trip, March 13th through the 22nd. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. We're going to David Dolan in a moment. I want to remind you that we just have completed our three-day School of Prophets conference here in Chattanooga. David James, who we'll talk to later on the broadcast, did a very special session on PowerPoint. I am continuing my study of Bible prophecy throughout the Bible. I did 22 books of the Bible, and we talked about prophetic passages there. This news, as I introduced it there in the first segment of the broadcast, we did it on YouTube, and it's going to be kept up there. You'll be able to watch some of the teaching that I did as I went through my portion of these 22 books and prophecy in each of them, even in the book of Philemon. It's over there. If you want to go to YouTube, go to youtube.com forward slash prophecy today. Prophecy today, one word. YouTube.com forward slash prophecy today. And there you'll be able to watch some of what we did. Well, David Dolan is standing by. He's been a journalist in Jerusalem for over 30 years. And David, there is a report that a lot of rioting has been taking place in Israel, both at the Gaza Strip, up in Judea and Samaria, uh, in Ramallah, above the city of Jerusalem, even in Jerusalem itself. I know that uh, that's how the intifadas in the past have started. You have been there to cover those. Talk to us about what's happening. Now, we don't need a litany of everything that's taken place, but this is enough to recognize it possibly could be the beginning of a third intifada. Is that the case? Well, Jimmy, there's been concern all year that a new uprising may be starting. Of course, the rioting in Gaza began in March, and every 
Friday, as this week again, there was rioting down there, and some Palestinians again broke through the border fence. But, Jimmy, we had a series of attacks this week, beginning on Sunday uh, near the Israeli settlement of Ofra. This is uh, near Jerusalem, north of Jerusalem. Jimmy, the concern is that this is not happening randomly, but that Hamas has decided to open up a new uprising, as you said. Now, we don't know this for sure, but this could well be the case. Very serious situation, Jimmy, very much on edge, but the Israelis are on full alert and are doing everything they can to prevent this from becoming a full uprising. But, as you said, there was rioting also south of Jerusalem, near Hebron and other places uh, on Friday. So a very, very tense situation, and one we'll have to watch very carefully. Often, David and I talk about Hamas there in the Gaza Strip, responsible for some of this violence that's happening against the Jewish people. Uh, but even Fatah, which is the organization headed up by Mahmoud Abbas, who's the president of the Palestinian Authority, supposedly somewhat of a moderate there in Ramallah, just above Jerusalem, he called for the Palestinians to confront Israeli Defense Force soldiers. That's what we're seeing happening. And the Jewish settlers. Hey, they have said, David, that they're not going to sit there like sitting ducks and wait for somebody to kill them. They're going to go out and protect themselves. This is a part of what they should be doing, is it not? Well, they have no choice. Uh, If somebody's going to be attacking you, then you have to have some response to it. And, Jimmy, it's it's just a shame. The Palestinian Authority has hailed the various terrorists. We've had four now so far this week that have carried out attacks that we know of. They've hailed them as martyrs and heroes, and like they usually do. Palestinian Authority-controlled television has done the same. So the PA is not neutral on this. Now, having said that, they did stop some of the rioters, some of the Hamas rioters around Al-Bire and uh, Ramallah. They did make some arrests. Palestinian Authority forces did this week of some of these people, and uh, Hamas has condemned that. But overall, the PA is at least taking a neutral stand And this reminds us of the second uprising, which Yasser Arafat supposedly was opposing and supposedly had a peace treaty with Israel, the Oslo Accords, in 2000. And yet he very clearly, openly supported the uprising and the violence. We see the same thing happening now. So, again, it may not get to the point where Israel has to go in and basically dismantle the PA, as they did then for a while, but it could get to that point, and it's up to the Palestinians where this is going to go, Jimmy. But again, the inspiration is Iran, and uh, this is just intolerable to the Israeli public. And the pressure on the government to do more is certainly going to grow. The third king of Israel, King Solomon, made an interesting statement. He said, nothing is new under the sun. I'm having my quiet time in the book of Nehemiah. And as I read this morning... Uh, Nehemiah was in Jerusalem. He was the cupbearer for Artaxerxes. He got permission to come back, rebuild the walls of the city of Jerusalem and the streets. And while they were there with a trial in one hand working on uh, rebuilding the wall, they had a sword in the other hand. And so uh, what's new in our world is not new. It's uh, got historic background as well, and that's what's happening. The Jewish people trying to rebuild their state, which the Bible prophecy calls for, with uh, the building hand and then uh, the defensive hand as well. I understand that Israel has come to some kind of an understanding, actually, with Russia over Syria. Do we know anything about that? 
Well, they've been talking, and uh, that's a good sign in and of itself, because it looked for a while there that uh, Russia had slammed the door to even talks with Israel after the uh, Russian spy plane was shot down by Syrian forces soon after an Israeli operation over Syria. They've been talking, Jimmy, and there are the reports, as you said, that they are coming to some agreements and some understandings. We can only hope that's the case. What Israel is again demanding is that Russia force the Bashar Assad government to get rid of the Iranian forces and the Hezbollah forces that are operating in Syria. This is Israel's main demand. It will remain its main demand. Uh, Russia has shown some ground of being willing to do that, but not enough. This comes as Turkey in the northeast of Syria is saying that uh, Erdogan, the uh, well, we can call him the Turkish dictator, really. He's elected, but he's become more or less a dictator, saying he's going to go after the Kurdish forces in northeastern Syria. That's where U.S. forces are stationed. And, of course, the Kurds have been very close to the U.S. and helping us to defeat ISIS there. It's just a mess, Jimmy. So the Syrian situation remains very, very fluid. But at least there are talks going on, and at least that may help in terms of the outcome of, of any Israeli operations that they feel they have to do further. Again, the prime minister was on the border next to Lebanon this week. He warned Lebanon and Syria, again, not to carry out attacks upon Israel, that it would dismantle the tunnels. A third tunnel was announced to have been discovered along the Lebanese-Israeli border this week. So a serious situation, but at least talks are happening, Jimmy, and we can only pray that the good Lord will restrain the hands of those that want to destroy Israel, as you said, the sword in one hand, but continue to build up the country at the same time. Yes, absolutely. A great principle from Nehemiah. One final thought I want to bring to your attention, David. It was about a year ago when we were talking the amazing news of Donald Trump, President of the United States, proclaiming to the world that Jerusalem was the political capital of the Jewish state of Israel, and then actually proving what he was saying, and he had feet to his statements. He moved the United States Embassy from Tel Aviv into Jerusalem. Now there are so many other nations considering doing that, and in the process of doing it, uh, the officials there in Jerusalem looking for a section of the city to put up embassy quarter. In other words, a location where all the embassies are from uh, the nations around the world might be located. Boy, that's a great sign, isn't it? It is, Jimmy, and actually it's the land near the U.S. Embassy, which is right along the Green Line, the old uh, border between Jordan controlled the West Bank in those days and Israel, the rest of Jerusalem, that's in South Jerusalem. There's a lot of open land there. You've been down there that they could build other uh, embassies near it, and they would be, again, in a neutral zone, as it were, right between the Arab side and the Jewish side, and uh, this may well happen. Australia is among the countries considering moving its embassy to Jerusalem, so a very good sign. Apparently the president's move did uh, open up a floodgate, and the Israelis are very, very happy for that and very thankful for that. David, you're a student of Bible prophecy as well. Would you not agree with me this is a great indicator that we're moving towards the time? Jerusalem, not only a place of controversy, but the center of the world, and ultimately Jesus Christ builds his temple and rules and reigns from that spot, and that is exciting. It is, Jimmy. You know, Israel is the ark. It's like uh, Noah is building an ark. God is building an ark, warning the world of judgment that's coming, and that the end of the age is coming, but also the Lord is coming, is returning. And Israel is the sign, is the ark to the world 
that this is coming, and that took some years for Noah to build that. It's taken some years for Israel, 70 years, to get to where it is now, a thriving country, embassies moving to Jerusalem. The Lord is in control despite the violence. Whatever happens, the Lord is in control, and he will restore his people as he's doing, and he will save them, as the scriptures say. Amen and amen. Hey, folks, we have David Dolan because he's a great journalist. But the bottom line is because he knows the Word of God as well. Put those two together, you can't beat it. That's why he joins us every week here on Prophecy Today with his Middle East News update. David, will do that again next week. Looking forward to it, buddy. Have a great weekend. Thank you, Jimmy. God bless. We're going to take a break. When we come back, I'm going to bring Winky Madad to this broadcast table. We're going to talk about an event that took place earlier this week, the dedication of the altar for the temple. Wow. You do not want to miss that conversation. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Have you ever wanted to know more about God's plan for the future? Have you ever tried to understand prophetic passages in God's Word, like, say, the book of Revelation, and been frustrated at not being able to figure it out? Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest CD series, Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, will help you gain the ability to understand where to start in your study of prophecy and allow you to read God's Word in a new and exciting way. Understanding God's prophetic Word will allow you to live a pure and productive life until Jesus returns for the church. Keys will help you gain the tools you need to understand the end-time events as foretold in God's Word. Dr. DeYoung lays out a systematic approach to Bible prophecy for those who want to know God's plan for the future. Tracks included are A Roadmap Through the End Times, The Jew in Jerusalem, Daniel and the Antichrist, Ezekiel and Messiah's Temple, and Revelation and Babylon. To order your copy of Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, visit our website at prophecytoday.com. Hi everybody, Jimmy DeYoung, welcome back to Broadcast Central here in Chattanooga, Tennessee. We move into our second half hour. Remember, I asked you for three half hours, 90 minutes, so that we could discuss current events in light of biblical prophecy. My broadcast partner's already showing up, and now we have Winky Madad, one of our favorite broadcast partners. He's in a place called Shiloh. It's the center part of the state of Israel, a Jewish community in Judea and Samaria. And by the way, every time you hear somebody say uh, the West Bank, get on to them. That's the godly piece of real estate called Judea and Samaria, the first headquarters for the Jewish people when they came into the promised land. Winky, a very interesting event took place this last Monday, which was the last day of Hanukkah. It was a special service directed by the Sanhedrin, and they were there at the Temple Mount to dedicate an altar. Now, we'll talk about the altar. Was it authentic? But why in the world did they have this particular service on the last day of Hanukkah? Why that day? Well, Jimmy, there were actually two reasons. Hanukkah is a minor festival. I say minor because I think the only reason is it was post-biblical and the fact that unlike all our other Jewish festivals, we can use electricity, turn off and on lights, and drive, which is usually prohibited on the Sabbath and the major festivals of the Passover and Sukkot, etc. The whole idea of the festival of Hanukkah comes from the word Hanukkah, which means to dedicate. 
and refers to the fact that the temple had been violated by the Greeks, and the height of the victory after the military victory was the reconsecration of all the temple artifacts uh, from the altar on down and the renewal of the temple service. In recognition of that, Jimmy, every morning on one of the eight days of Passover, we read the particular uh, chapter in Numbers, which refers to when the children of Israel in the desert consecrated the tabernacle altar, each of the eight days bringing actually the same exact number and character of uh, sacrifices. So these two things are sort of connected together. And those of us who are very aware of this, of course, would not think anything else except to use the holiday of Hanukkah to try to raise the consciousness about a new effort, which is to recreate, rebuild a uh, authentic, as much as possible, altar. Wow. That's great information, great insight into why that took take place. I really had no idea, but boy, that was a great update that you gave us. Now, we're talking about the altar. Is that an official altar that uh, the Sanhedrin would approve and could be used when they put the temple up on the Temple Mount? Jimmy, I must say I did not investigate it by myself, but I would trust them that, uh, and I saw the modern technology today, Jimmy, is the WhatsApp lists. Yeah. And so I'm on a WhatsApp list, of course, of Temple Mount activists, and they were sending pictures of how they were constructing it and using special stones from the sea that had not been, I guess the word would be, defiled, as the best I can do in English. And because there are special instructions on how an altar should be built, and we know from medieval rabbinical commentaries like Maimonides and others that as long as you have an altar, you don't really need the temple to make certain sacrifices. Those of us who've read the Bible know that when Ezra and Nehemiah uh, came back from Babylon, they began sacrificing despite the fact that they were still rebuilding the temple itself. And so as many times over the years, Jimmy, you and I and those of us who listen in to us have been discussing and listening, there are various implements and instruments and utensils that the Temple Mount Institute and other groups have been trying to recreate in order to simply to raise consciousness and, and, and heighten the level of interest and even discussion over uh, how we're going to see the Temple Mount in a very short time as soon as possible. Again, another very interesting and informative fact that when the second temple was built, when Zerubbabel led them in and back to Jerusalem to do that, it was that they established an altar, reinstituted the sacrificial system, and then later got the temple up and operating, and ultimately Herod made it the most beautiful building. The rabbi said if you'd never seen Herod's temple, which would be the second temple, you'd never seen a beautiful building. Now, we are talking about sacrifices, and the altar is to be the place of sacrifice. But there were actually no sacrifices that were made at the dedicatory service of the altar. Instead, the sacrificial activity took place off-site. Why did that happen? Why couldn't they go to this new altar they dedicated? The main reason, actually, is because several groups complained about the Passover sacrifice that was done. I think we discussed it at the time, Jimmy. Right. It was done in the garden 
uh, as you come in through the Dungate off to the right, what we call the Davidson Park. Right. And while it wasn't done on the altar itself, it was done in the park. And then some leftist groups and animal groups began to raise some problems. And so the veterinarian office of the Jerusalem municipality said, you cannot sacrifice the animal at that site and not even within the area of the Davidson Park. So it was done off-site, as you mentioned, and then the remains were brought to the site itself in order to make sure that the people would understand exactly what, what's happening, what, what is the order of the service, and how things are done uh, as an educational uh, and information activity. Well, as I understand it also, the man who has been appointed by the Sanhedrin as the high priest, Baruch Kahana, he was the one uh, taking charge of the activities there. The other priests joined in as well with him. That is correct. Actually, Baruch is a neighbor of mine from down the here at Shiloh. Mm. He is the one who is at the Temple Institute, and he studies and writes on the issue, and he's very much involved. And again, I presume that a stranger would find certain things odd or uncharacteristic of normal, the idea is that uh, normal can become as normal as you want it to be if you commit yourself to learning the laws of sacrifice of the temple and accept the fact that these things actually in other circumstances, such as a slaughterhouse or a barbecue, are accepted and not thought of as anything to be perturbed about. And so we want to make sure that the original official temple sacrificial worship consciousness be made aware to the public as much as possible so that we get into the mode, if I can use that word, of accepting what God would want us to do. You know, I think I hear coming through what you're telling me right now is was that this is a training session. They have a qualified altar. The high priest appointed by the Sanhedrin, Baruch Kahana, was there to take charge of the activities. So they were continuing their training with these men. But in addition to that, they're trying to train the Jewish worshipers that, hey, the sacrificial system must be reinstituted. Pay attention to what we're doing. Understand how this is all coming together. A training session, in other words. Uh, yes, I think I've, several times it's either an exercise, a training session, and I always like to put on the line, Jimmy, with you, consciousness raising. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, you, people have to be able to absorb things that can be thought of as strange. There's no reason to wait uh, until tomorrow morning someone rings you up and says, you're on duty as a Kohen, as, as a priest, and uh, you'd better get there by uh, 5 o'clock in the morning because it starts <laughs> at uh, dawn. Uh, you have to get trained, you have to get exercised, and you have to get consciousness raised in order for this thing to be done properly. You know, another thing I wanted to question you about, Winky, was why did the Sanhedrin invite 70 nations? What's the significance of 70 nations to come to this activity? Well, traditionally, we know that on the Sukkot holiday, uh, the ho- we call it the holiday of booths in English, and maybe there's another name for it, the nations of the world, and in biblical terms, 70 nations, or Talmudic terms, 70 nations, are called upon to be able to come and offer their sacrifices as well at this time. 
And so it's become a, a, a number in which we know that, as I think it's written uh, both in Zechariah, I think Isaiah, the phrase, the nations shall accompany the Jews to Jerusalem uh, and be uh, part of God's plan in this operation. And so there's no reason to exclude them and to uh, make sure that the Bible uh, and the Bible prophecy be fulfilled as much as possible we can do at this time and of our, of our lives. Sukkot, which was what uh, Winky was talking about, would be the Feast of Tabernacles, and he was right on target. Zechariah chapter 14 says uh, that when the Messiah is here and ruling and reigning from that temple on the Temple Mount, all the nations must come in to Jerusalem to celebrate that Feast of Tabernacles. Very important that we understand that. One of the reasons they continue each year to bring people, all the Jewish people, but all the Christians as well from around the world to do that. And seemingly it's important because Hanukkah, the Feast of Lights, also referred to as, is to be the light of the world to the nations, isn't it? Yes, Jimmy. We believe that at that time of full redemption, the light will come, God's light will come from Jerusalem, shine brightly. I think there's also another verse in Isaiah who talks about that, uh, uh, about my light shining from Jerusalem. And we hope at that time, no war, no frustration, no argument, full coexistence and understanding. And I think that's one of the major messages Jews have been trying for many centuries to put out, and we think it's all tied up with Jerusalem, the temple, and uh, all nations coming together. That's Isaiah chapter 2 and Micah chapter 4. The word of the Lord comes out from the temple in Jerusalem to all the nations of the world. Winky, I guess the bottom line, a step closer to the next temple, and this is exciting, isn't it? It is exciting, and always marching forward, progressing in the right direction. Sometimes we have to ignore the fact it's taking too long, but we're sure that we and everybody else together with us is on the right path. Folks, you see why one of my favorite broadcast partners, Winky Madad, so informative with the details when we're able to catch him and have a conversation with him. Haksameyak to you, Winky. Thank you so very much, and Shabbat Shalom. We'll talk to you again sometime real soon. Jimmy, Shabbat Shalom, Sabbath blessings, and thank you for having me on. Goodbye to you and our listeners. Very, very exciting conversation with Winky Madad. The fact is, the next step in rebuilding the temple on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, accomplished by the Sanhedrin, the high priest, and the Jewish worshipers, which were there on the Temple Mount area, not inside the temple complex, but right there at the wall, and they dedicated an altar so the sacrificial system could begin. We'll stay on top of the story with Winky Madad. Keep you posted. Right now we're going to bring John Rood to the broadcast table. He covers the European Union for us. We've got a lot to talk about, John. Let's get right underway. Looks like Prime Minister Theresa May cut off the vote just before they were to vote. I think it was last Tuesday on the Brexit deal. I mean, this was an emergency tactic that she used, was it not? Very, very critical phase here with Brexit. And we're finding ourselves in a time now where things are literally changing every single day. So, indeed, Theresa May had pulled the 
vote from the parliament, knowing it would be overwhelmingly defeated, went on a whirlwind tour of Europe, landed now at the uh, Brussels EU summit, and hoping to see what type of guidance she can have, some type of ammunition to be able to pass something through the British Parliament. But the EU has taken a very strong stand. They're saying absolutely no renegotiation. The big issue is the Northern Ireland backstop, which would keep the customs union, and that's the way that they perceive to have the border fluid to continue between Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland. Uh, it, the big concern is that to keep this, it could be a situation that just goes indefinitely. The EU is saying that it's temporary, that that's actually how the document is written, but there's no assurance there. So what what's going to happen? What's going to happen? The idea that uh, Theresa May would have a general election that's out because she won her vote of no confidence, there's going to be some type of concessions that can happen with the British Parliament, in a sense, can take command. And overall, I would say we're going to expect delays. We saw a delay in the vote, and now we can even see a delay. This is shocking, but we can see a delay for the entire process. The European Court of Justice has ruled that the United Kingdom can cancel Brexit if it wants to. So, again, this is a situation where they make rules and break rules. It appears that the EU now has a very strong negotiating hand. Britain is divided, but the EU just threw this out. The United Kingdom can actually cancel Brexit if it wants. John, let me just take a brief moment or two here to define a couple of terms that you've just used, and let's do that, your explanation briefly, if you will. First of all, the no confidence vote. That means the parliament there, which is only one house, they vote up or down, she can stay or she has to leave as prime minister. Is that correct? Yes, correct. The British Parliament is primarily the Conservative Party, known as the Tories, and then we have the Labour Party right now, which is led by Jeremy Corbyn. And so this was actually a no-confidence vote from her own Conservative Party. And so in this case, there was enough votes to trigger the vote, and she passed. So she'll be in charge, although she said she'll step down in coming years, uh, but this is very different from a no-confidence vote, which would lead to a general election, and that is not going to happen at this time. Okay, then talk to me about the backstop. I don't quite understand. This is with Northern Ireland. They're a part of the United Kingdom, and uh, they're really it's not a part of Ireland itself. So what's the backstop mean? Well, I, I've done uh, quite a bit of teaching in Northern Ireland and also the Republic of Ireland, and it is an island, and so the people perceive themselves as being very Irish. Yet, Northern Ireland is part of the United Kingdom, and there's a lot of allegiance there. So the, the term Northern Ireland backstop, it's a, a legally binding proposal for a customs arrangement with the EU. As of now, the border is fluid. There's no, there's no need for a visa. There's no border checks. Although the Republic of Ireland has issued me transit visas, landing in Dublin to go to Belfast to cross that border, they've given me transit visas, which is a fluid border. So you can see this is something that's had a concern for many, many years. 
but it's the forefront of the Brexit uh, negotiation because keeping this border open then uh, makes Northern Ireland an exception dealing with the rest of the United Kingdom, and they don't they don't want that, and it keeps them bound to the European Union regulation. Let me uh, go bottom line with you. From your many years living there in Brussels and then traveling all over the entire portion of Europe and uh, over there in Ireland, Northern Ireland, etc., what do you think is going to happen? Is this all going to work out, or will they just forget and withdraw from their Brexit approach to the European Union? That's the big, that's the big unknown for now. They've been given a wild card situation that they can just say, well, this was a bad idea, and let's put this aside. What could happen, because we're going to have delays, this, just expect delays. March 29, 2019 is when the U.K. is scheduled to leave. January 21st is the deadline for the Parliament vote. But we're going to have a system of delays. The more delays there are, the more chance we have for a second referendum, which earlier seemed just uh, unthinkable. This could be a direction that the EU is going, because most likely this referendum would not pass in this time, because the people, they don't like all the division, they don't like all the uncertainty. I've uh, got to remind you, those of you listening in on the conversation, we talk about the political as we look at the European Union because it indeed is setting the stage for the prophetic to be fulfilled, and that's the part of the world, the region in the world that will ultimately be the revived Roman Empire. Daniel talks about it, and that's really absolutely the bottom line, what is going to happen. Let's change the focus just a bit. Nine out of ten European Jews fear the possibility of anti-Semitism either coming to kill them or drive them out of their homes and, I guess, to the only safe haven they have, the state of Israel, which is very prophetic as well. But uh, the Jews there in Europe, They have a right to fear, do they not? I believe so. There's an undenying trend of growing anti-Semitism in Europe. Nine out of ten European Jews feel um, that this is growing. This is actually a study that has come out by the European Union Agency for Fundamental Rights. And so now this is another in a series of press releases, polls, etc., showing an awareness of growing anti-Semitism in Europe. This, uh, the European Union has not in the past taken this role, and so there seems to be uh, something happening there on a grassroots level that they desire to have this awareness go forth. The majority of the anti-Semitic events have been linked to uh, Muslims. I think the European Union is interested somehow to balance the threat from uh, radical Islam uh, by this awareness. Also, we've seen, even in in the U.K., as we spoke with the Labor Party and Jeremy Corbyn, much of the turmoil there has been on the uh, uh, adoption or non-adoption of the definition of anti-Semitism. And so it's actually the International Holocaust Remembrance Alliance This is the official uh, governmental adopted European Union definition of anti-Semitism. And so it's funny, but it's now gone down to the question 
of what is the definition of anti-Semitism. And so that's been a debate, which is just a smokescreen, but it's been part of this growing awareness. And so people are saying we have to identify this, we have to have an official adopted definition so that we're able to deal with it. Well, uh, look at the Word of God, dear friend, if you want to know what's going to happen. Anti-Semitism is going to continue to increase and there will be another holocaust worse than the first one. It's found in Zechariah chapter 13 and verse 8, where it says, At that point in time, two out of every three Jews on the earth will be killed. That's prophecy. That's absolute. John, thank you very much for the report. Appreciate it so much, my good friend. We'll talk again next week. Thank you. Very critical times. Very critical. Very interesting report from John Rood on the European Union and Brexit and how it is either falling apart or going to come together. It does play a very interesting prophetic role in establishing the revived Roman Empire. Do you have questions about Bible prophecy? Let me suggest you send an email to prophecytoday.com slash Jim Jr. He'll get the email from you and then we'll have it on the air. Jim, I think a couple of questions have come in. Not sure how much time we have, but if you'll give us the question from our listener, we'll see if we can answer it. Dad, our question of this week, Heather McIntyre sends in, and you know how uh, questions are, are from the nature of the heart, as they all are, but this one, I'd like to ask this question. Maybe this isn't the right place to ask this, but it's been bugging me for some time, and I was hoping you might have the answer for me. I have a friend who used to be a devout Christian, and he loved the Lord and went on missions trips. Now he claims to be an atheist. How can one turn from God so completely? And once doing so, is there any hope for his salvation? Will he be left behind at the tribulation? I have to say, Heather, that there is always hope for this young man to come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Now, I cannot give you the answer as to whether because he went on mission trips, because he claimed to be a Christian, even referred to himself or others referred to him as a devout Christian, that he loved the Lord. I cannot say that he was truly saved at that time. Only he and the Lord know that. What about him turning to atheism? Well, no, maybe he's just away from the Lord. Sin can cause you to do all kinds of things. But again, I don't know if he's truly an atheist or not. Let me read, and again, we'll go to the scriptures, First John chapter 2 and verse 19. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. And John here is saying, and the book of 1 John, you know this well, Jim, because you teach the book of 1 John when you travel and speak across the world. Uh, and you, of course, when you came to me when you were a teenager and said, Dad, I'm not sure if I'm born again, I sent you directly to 1 John. Mm -hmm. So it's a book that helps us to know for sure that we're saved. But John is telling the readers of his book, if you have someone that is dear to you, they go away from the Lord, they may have not been saved. That's why they would go away and will not come back. Now, you ask the question, uh, will he be left behind at the tribulation? If at the rapture, which precedes the tribulation, if he is a lost person, he will be left behind. If he is saved and just backslidden, 
he will go at the rapture of the church. The Word of God doesn't say you have to be absolutely perfect without any blemishes on a born-again experience, uh, not to go at the rapture. All sin has been forgiven. The shed blood of Jesus Christ wiped away all of my sin, all of your sins. And that's what is the precious thing about what Jesus Christ has done for us. Heather, will be praying with you. In fact, let me say a word of prayer. Dear Father, Heather's friend is on her heart heavenly. He's seemingly walked away from a Christian experience of being very close to the Lord, a devout Christian, a man involved in missions work. We don't know what his status is, but we pray the Holy Spirit of God will convict him, especially at this time of the year as he thinks about the birth of Jesus Christ, the first coming of the Savior, the Messiah. And uh, might it draw him back to you if he does know you as Lord and Savior. If not, bring him under conviction, he may come to know Christ as his Savior. Thank you for Heather's heart and her yearning to know if this man is born again or not. We thank you for all of these who have asked questions today. And we pray that each and every one of us, me included, Jim as well, will keep in the Word and be students of the Word so we can have see the Word gives us all the answers. Jimmy DeYoung is not the prophecy guru with all the answers. The Word of God has every answer. Help us to lift up the Word in this broadcast all the time. Again, thank you for Heather's heart and her concern for this man. my precious name, we pray with thanksgiving. Amen. Thanks, Dad. What a great moment. We're going to have to take a break, and we'll be right back, right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung here at Broadcast Central in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Moving into the third half hour, making up a total of 90 minutes that I've asked for so that we can give you the world, the current events unfolding in our world as reported by our broadcast partners with the details behind all of these events as we then can determine that indeed what we see in current events according to the biblical scenario of God's Word is an indication, I would even say a sign, that we're near the end and the time for the rapture of the church. Well, speaking of that, let me talk to you about my poll question. It goes along that line. I would like to see if that's what you agree with. On the homepage of prophecytoday.com, on the left-hand column, if you'll scroll down, you'll find my poll question. Here it is. On Prophecy Today weekend, we report current events in light of biblical prophecy. This week, we reported the dedication of the altar for the next temple in Jerusalem. Do you believe that this is a significant sign of how close we are to the fulfillment of Bible prophecy for the last days? Please answer the poll question. Let us know what you're thinking, and I hope and pray you're thinking that it is a great indicator of how close the prophecy of the rapture is and how close it could be to taking place. In addition to that, in this segment, before we go to David James with our conversation focused on transgenderism, uh, and by the way, that's a very important subject, so stay tuned for David. He'll be here in just a moment. Oh, by the way, Christmas is around the corner you know, you're going to be told by mama to go out and start doing some Christmas shopping, especially for her. 
May I suggest my one-stop Christmas shopping headquarters located on my website, prophecytoday.com. Go to the Prophecy Bookstore. There you can find some great deals. We have CDs and DVDs at my Prophecy Bookstore, 50% off. From the oldest you might find there to the latest that we've done, all 50% off. You need to go so we can mail them to you, these items from our Prophecy Bookstore, and give something that'll be of great importance in the edification of your loved one or your dearest friend as it relates to Bible prophecy. And one more thing, let me mention, please pray about your end-of-the-year giving. We have set a goal of $50,000 so we can finish out this year, 2018, go into our 30th year anniversary of our ministry, Prophecy Today. That's next year. We'd like to go in there free and clear of any debt that we need to take care of before we move into our 30th year, the anniversary of our ministry. Go to my website, prophecytoday.com forward slash partners, P-A-R-T-N-E-R-S, partners, and that'll be the location where you can give. That's prophecytoday.com forward slash partners. Pray about that the Lord lead you as you determine your end of the year giving, and remember to include us here at Prophecy Today. We now bring to these microphones David James. The time of the week is now when we have a conversation. David and I take an issue that is confronting the body of Christ, the church, and we discuss it in light of what the Word of God has to say about the issue so we can help you in your understanding of how to live the Christian life with these issues that are confronting our world today. David just was here in Chattanooga with us. We spent about three days together. He's on his way back home to Indiana. Hey, let's jump into our topic because it involves a letter, which you let me read just before you left, and we both thought it would be probably a good idea to just talk about her questions and comments on the air. So do that for us, if you will, David. Sure. One of our listeners from the Northeast, and uh, we actually did receive the letter while we were at the conference. Uh, Let me just read a couple things from her letter. She says, I listen to PTRN often as I'm able, and sometimes in the last couple of months I heard you talk about transgender people. She goes on to say, I'm a born-again Christian. I am not transgender. I'm a normal female. That's what she says. But then she goes on to say, you talk about transgenderism as though it were some kind of horrible sin and says that she doesn't think that it should be lumped in with things like lesbians, gays, and bisexuals. And so she offered her opinion about that, and that's why we thought it would be good to discuss it. David, based upon her understanding of the Bible, she described homosexuality as an abhorrent abomination. But uh, doesn't that then raise some serious questions, she said, since she also believes that transgenderism is when a person, now using her words from the letter, is trapped in a body of the wrong gender. I think it really does raise some serious questions. First of all, I would say that she is right concerning her observation about what the Bible says about homosexual behavior, and that would be sexual activity with anyone of the same genetic 
sex. Now, the problem, in in my view, the questions that it raises then is, if somebody is, for example, in her mind, a female gender trapped in a male body, then could that person uh, actually have sex with someone who is genetically of the same gender, or does that then put it under the category of an abhorrent sin. And so it, it raises a lot of serious questions medically, genetically, uh, biblically, and I think it's helpful that, that we uh, discuss this because if she is right, you can't have it both ways. If transgenderism actually does exist, which we'll talk about, then that would mean that celibacy would be the only sure way to keep from committing sin. You know, one of the things that I think bothered both of us was the use of Scripture to defend her theory about transgenderism, which is just that, only a theory, a psychological theory, without any remote reference to the Word of God. That bothers me. Well, it does me too. We understand that in the beginning we read in Genesis chapters 1 and 2 that God created two genders, male and female, and that those genders are rooted in our DNA. There are genetic differences, and God created these two genders. And the question that I would have then is if you separate from the Word of God any reference to transgenderism, and that, first of all, poses a problem in in my mind with regard to 2 Timothy 3.16, which talks about uh, everything that we need to know for life and godliness can be found in the Scriptures. And also, if you have the problem that if there is some kind of third gender or third combination, there's no reference to that in the Word of God at all. So I I think that poses some serious questions that need to be answered, and, and we'll get to those as we move on through our conversation. Well, I agree, and obviously we don't have a lot of time, but I think we should talk about the passages that she mentions in the letter the first of which is John chapter 9, verses 2 to 4, which talks about the person who was born blind, whom Jesus healed. Now talk to me about that. Well, this was a situation where Jesus was being challenged by the the Pharisees, and uh, they had the same kind of idea that Job's friends have. If you remember, they uh, Job, because of all the things that horrible things that he went through in his life, losing his family, losing his health, they said, "Job, it must be because of your sin." And so that was this uh, what we would call retribution theology that was uh, held by many and also held by the Pharisees, and Jesus says, no, that's not what happened. It's not this man's sin, nor is it his parents' sin. This has been allowed by God so that you might see the glory of God demonstrated, and it was very clearly demonstrated because now you have the very eternal Son of God on the earth who is actually the king of the Jews and demonstrating his power over infirmity and to demonstrate that he is in perfect control and God allows things for his glory. Another thing about this as well is if you're going to tie this to an an infirmity and raise the question as to whether it's sin or not, then you have to raise the question, is transgenderism, if it exists, which I don't believe it does, is that due to sin or is that not due to sin, or is, and can it somehow be healed 
in the same way that you could heal someone who's deaf, blind, or mute. Is this a congenital birth defect? And I don't think that there would be any scientific evidence that would put it into that category. It's, it's purely, as we said earlier, psychological theory. Then our letter writer also refers to Luke chapter 13, verses 10 to 17. And by the way, just before I explain a bit about that passage, we're so thankful that this dear lady decided to write us a letter. This is what we want to have happen. When David and I have a conversation, you eavesdrop on it, and then you want to interact with us. So either an email, a letter, we enjoy receiving them all. Now, she refers to, again, Luke chapter 13, verses 10 to 17, which is about the woman who had a case of bleeding for 18 years that uh, seems to be caused by Satan. What are your thoughts? Well, once again, you have this interesting combination of things that the Lord allows to bring glory to himself, and once again, in this case, something that had been going on for a long time, uh, something apparently uh, either a congenital birth defect that caused this bleeding or something that had been caused later, and it, it is attributed to Satan, and the Lord does heal her. But then the question, again, it raises the same question with regard to the man who was unable to speak, and that is, is this lady saying that transgenderism is actually an infirmity and it is actually a medical condition where the person is, there's something wrong with them medically? And the question that I would raise is, even though there are medical tests, you can tell when somebody stops bleeding, you can tell when somebody gains their hearing, you can tell if somebody has been cured of cancer or they have cancer or they have any other defect in their in their physical makeup, and yet there is no such test for transgenderism. So there's nothing in the Bible that would equip us to, to even deal with this, even if you think about it from a pastoral level. So that, again, raises the question is the Word of God sufficient for life and godliness for us to minister to people, to, to minister to all of their needs, both uh, physical and spiritual and emotional? And if transgenderism is true, and it's not just a feeling that a person has, then the Word of God certainly would not be sufficient. David, how would you wrap up all of this? Uh, quickly summarizing her request for scriptures to back up what you and I believe concerning transgenderism. Well, I would say a couple of things. Going back to the creation account, uh, there are two genders, and uh, they are rooted in our DNA, uh, our genetics. They are passed on our gender and our identity, our soul even. Our soul is passed on from our parents, and it's created not by God at the moment of conception, but rather we come into existence, body, soul, and spirit, at the moment of conception from our parents. I would also say that when it comes to, again, transgenderism, since there is no reference in the Bible, since there is no medical test that can test for it, and there is there would be no way for someone to know if they were healed of transgenderism. It's really no different than somebody who saying that they are in a Caucasian body, but they actually have a black soul or a, a Japanese soul, an Asian soul, for example. In my view, and with all due respect to our listener, it's a made-up 
concept to try to uh, justify certain immoral lifestyles and behaviors that have been adopted in the world, and I think that we need to be very careful not to fall into that trap of the world. Pretty tough concept that we're talking about, uh, very culturally active in our world today, so it's an issue we needed to discuss. David, thank you so much. By the way, drive safely on into Indiana. Thank you for what you did here at the conference. Look forward to talking to you again next week with another issue. Thanks, Jimmy. Great to be with you, and thanks to our listeners who who write in uh, to us uh, on occasion. We're going to take a break right now. After the break, I'm going to open up the Bible. We'll take a look at the Bible in light of what we've been talking about as it relates to current events and the prophetic scenario found in God's Word. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. The book of Revelation is God's final word to man and the timeline of the last days revealed to the Christians. This symbolism-filled example of apocalyptic literature can be difficult to understand, especially when simply reading it from beginning to end. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest book, Revelation, A Chronology, takes a walk through the prophetic book of Revelation in the order that the events will take place, chronologically, sharing insights into its true meaning and doing so in an easy-to-understand and practical way. If you have difficulty understanding the book of Revelation, get your copy of Revelation, A Chronology, and let Dr. Jimmy DeYoung aid you in your understanding of this profound end-times prophecy book that God has preserved in His Scriptures for for Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy D. Young's Revelation, a chronology, call us toll-free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com. Have you always wanted to visit the land of Israel? Imagine what it would be like to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. With Joshua Travel, you can visit Israel past, present, and prophetic. The Bible will come alive as you see places like the shepherd's field where our Lord was born, Caesarea Philippi, Cana of Galilee, Capernaum, the Garden of Gethsemane, and the Garden Tomb. You'll even experience an exciting boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. You'll visit each site with Bible in hand as we take the time to not just visit the sites, but to help you understand their importance to our biblical heritage and to our prophetic future. We will place special emphasis on the eternal city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the world, and the place from where Jesus will rule and reign one day. Call Joshua Travel today at 423-821-3635 to find out more about this trip of a lifetime, or you can visit us online at joshuatravel.com. It's time right now here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the book. For the last almost hour and a half, except minus eight minutes, We've been talking about current events with our broadcast partners. They've given us details behind what we have been considering as a precursor to the end-time scenario that is found in Bible prophecy. These were great reports. They were needed by those of us who study Bible prophecy. So as we study the prophetic Word of God and put together the current events that we get reports on from our broadcast partners— we can realize where we are in God's prophetic clock and how close we are to the next event, the rapture of the church. 
I hope that you were able to listen to all the broadcast partners. If not, go to my website, prophecytoday.com. There go to PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network. You'll be able to hear all of the conversations I had with my men around the world. And may I suggest, help your friend. They may not know how to get a hold of us, so encourage them and give them the location where we're found on the international web and we will be able to let them listen to these reports, helping them to understand the times in which we're living. That location again, prophecytoday.com, P-T-R-N, that's the place where you'll be able to hear all of my conversations with today's broadcast partners. Now I want to take a moment and let me give you a prophetic perspective on this week's news. We had Ken Timmerman. He gave us the activities unfolding in a geopolitical world that may help us see how close we are to the end-time scenario that's found in the Bible. For example, Ken responded to an editorial that said why Iran may go nuclear. Well, this is a key point of interest We've been discussing this for a couple of years now. They even had an international agreement, the Obama-Iranian nuclear deal, that fell apart when Trump pulled out of it. But that does not mean that Iran is not continuing to work to develop a nuclear weapon of mass destruction. Now, I know that's going to happen. How do you know, Dr. DeYoung? Because I read the book of Ezekiel, chapter 38, verse 5, where Persia, That's the biblical name for modern-day Iran. Persia, or Iran, will be involved in an alignment of nations that will form in the Middle East right after the rapture of the church, and they're going to try to wipe Israel off the face of the earth. Psalm chapter 83 and verse 4. This is key information looking at current events in light of biblical prophecy. We can see the stage is set. We always have David Dolan as a part of our broadcast partners because he's key when he reports from the most important region of the world. We're talking about the Middle East. Now, if you're a student of Bible prophecy, you know how key that region is. And Dave talked about the uptick in violence there in Israel. And just these last couple of days, what has been happening there at the Gaza border with Israel in the city of Jerusalem in Judea and Samaria at the northern border. This is information helping us to understand that the Palestinian people may be moving into the third intifada. That's an Arabic word, which means public uprising. Well, they're doing that because they would like to wipe Israel off the face of the earth. Ezekiel chapter 35 said that exact thing would happen. They would come back into the land. They will kill the Jews and then steal their land. Malachi chapter 1 says a similar comment when it says the Palestinian people, descendants of Esau, would return and rebuild, the Lord said, I will call your borders the borders of wickedness. We watch that from the sidelines. It's unfolding and setting the stage. Winky Madad talked to us about the most exciting thing that I can think of, 
the next step in the preparations to put the temple on the Temple Mount, the Sanhedrin there in Jerusalem at the wall of the Temple Mount surrounding the Temple Mount complex, they put up a altar. This is an official altar that the Sanhedrin put together. The man named high priest, Barak Kahana, was there to take charge of the service. He had many of the priests qualified through their training to be involved in this dedication of this altar. They even brought a sacrificial animal to that altar and offered it as they were supposed to do. No sacrifice because the municipality of Jerusalem would not allow it. But they're training. They're getting everything ready, and they're trying to train the Jewish world that this is what's going to happen in the future. You need to learn, get ready for this to happen, because God's Word says it will happen. Great report from Winky Madad. John Rood talked about the activities surrounding Brexit there in the European Union. Of course, the European Union would be the base, I believe, for the revived Roman Empire, which will be one of the major players in the end time. The European Union, the revived Roman Empire, will take on their counterpart, another superpower, and that will be Magog, and that, of course, would be Russia and their alignment of Middle Eastern nations, according to Ezekiel 38 and Daniel chapter 11. David James and I talked about an issue that is very prominent in our world, the issue of transgenderism. We talked about what the Bible has to say about it. You need to understand all of that and realize that in the last days, as it was in the day of Lot, that's from Luke chapter 17, as it was in the days of Lot, so it shall be in the days of the coming of the Lord. Each and every report from our broadcast partner helped us to understand, gave us tangible evidence of where we are in God's time. And without a doubt, I can tell you, these are all scenarios that were pre-written as pre-written history, for example, in the prophetic passages. Go to my website, prophecytoday.com. Go to PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network. You'll be able to hear all of the conversations I had with my men around the world. Help your friend. They may not know how to get a hold of us, and we will be able to let them listen to these reports, helping them to understand the times in which we're living. And that time is the time for the rapture, which could, by the way, take place at any moment. And having said that, nothing left for me to say, except let's keep looking up until. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today. Today.